Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This weekend, I'm doing something I don't think I've ever done in, in 10 years. I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching. I'm literally just going to sow. I'm just going to sow. This, this year, the Lord reminded me this week, is the 30-year anniversary of the first time I started reading through the Bible seriously. And by the time I was 14, I'd read through the Bible in, in all, from cover to cover. Uh, it doesn't make me anything. It's just, hopefully, I just want to give you a little context. I am addicted to the Word of God. It's one of my great obsessions in this life. 30 years. My best friend and I, my twin, Tim Ross, we took a a 10-year period of time and committed to one another not to read any other book but the Bible. And between the two of us in that 10-year run, we probably read closer to 40,000 chapters than 30. I remember there was one year between the two of us, we read over 8,000 chapters. It's our addiction. It's my addiction. And, And... When we talk about spiritual warfare, and we've been talking about Ephesians 6 for the last couple of weeks, essentially, to put on the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Remember in Matthew 4, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan himself, what was the weapon he used? It is written, it is written, it is written. The Word of God. Now, one of the reasons I'm not going to preach or teach this message is because this message has... 13 points, okay? And we don't want to be here two hours. You know what I'm saying? Okay? We're talking about loving the word of God. And if there's a subtitle to this message, here's the subtitle. 13 things I've learned from a 30-year relationship with the word of God. And I'm just going to try and sow these things. I I literally asked the Lord. I I felt like he asked, "What, what would you like? as a gift to celebrate our 30-year run together with this book. And here's what I said. Would you divinely enable me to sow supernatural seed into the hearts of your people that even if they don't understand fully what we're talking about, the seed would penetrate the most impermeable of soils? Remember, Jesus told the the parable of the soils, three-quarters of the soils were bad. Only one was good. And so my prayer in this message, I I literally, I'm going to be giving you some things. And I forgot to tell the group back there, I I don't even know if I want to put the scriptures on the screen. Some of these points are so wordy, they're like paragraphs instead of sentences. Here's why. Because they took me 30 years to learn. So let's just leave the points up, guys, so that, that they can write them down. And I really do want you to write these things down. Let me just give you a tip. When I sit with my mentors and my heroes and they use the phrase or the words, Preston, I'm going to tell you something. It took me 20 years, 30 years, 50 years to learn. A wise man takes out a pen and paper and starts scribbling immediately. Here's why. Because they're giving me the ability to learn in 30 seconds what it took them 30 years to receive from the Lord. So I'm asking you, would you take good notes today? Because it's taken me 30 years to get some of this stuff. 
All right? Okay, let's jump right in. Point number one, and this is about falling in love with the word of God. My, my, one of my prayers over this church is that it would be impossible to go here and not be obsessed with the word of God. That's why I use it so much in my sermons. Here's point number one. You want to fall in love with, with the word? If you like to lose and live confused, do not read this book. You want to fall in love with this, this book? You got to understand this principle. If you like to lose and live confused, don't even open up this book. Psalm 119, verse 98. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Anybody like to be wiser than their enemies? Okay, like eight of you. I'd like to meet and have lunch with the eight of you after the service. The rest of you can go. Are you serious? That was not a rhetorical question. You, you, you like to lose? No, you don't. Okay. Scripture says, Preston, you want to always be a couple steps ahead of your enemy? Get in the book. Here's the way I've said it for years. While everyone on earth is playing checkers, God plays chess. And how can I discern what the next moves are? Digging into the word of God. Well, Preston, that doesn't literally tell me what to do next at my job. No, no, no. You got to understand. If you want to know what to do next, you have a big decision at work. Dig into the word of God. The message that sends to God is you actually want to know what he thinks about it. So dig in. But if you like to lose and you want to live a highly confused life, Stay away from this book. Point number two, you don't have to have a doctorate in this book to understand this book. You just have to know and love the one who wrote this book. This is really important for new believers. One of the lies the enemy tells us is you're not smart enough to understand this book. So why waste your time? Okay, if I was your enemy and you just gave your life to Christ, one of the things I would try and do, and you've heard me say this, I'd try and keep you away from the Holy Spirit. But one of the other things I would try and do is keep you away from the Word of God. It's the key to the path forward. So of course you're going to hear a voice that says, you are so stupid, don't even try and open up a smart person's book. Okay, again, is that how God talks? Okay, if it's not how God talks, you probably shouldn't listen to whatever voice you're hearing. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand God's word. Psalm 119, verse 30. Notice, almost all of the verses I'm going to read come from Psalm 119. It might be a pretty cool thing this week to read over Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, once a day, every day for the next seven days. Just see what happens. Verse 130. The teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. David says all the time, Who, who's the teacher? It's God. He would say time and time again, teach me, oh God. Show me, oh God. It's not just me teaching the word. Much bigger than that, it's God teaching. And when God teaches, the simple, like me, can understand. Here's point number three. For those of you who thought we are not going to make it through 13 points, in less than two hours, look, I just did two points in three and a half minutes, okay? Point number three, come to the word in a posture of humility. 
confessing your ignorance. This is something that that I didn't understand early on. I thought I had to act like a know-it-all to get on God's good side. And it wasn't until, until I started to come to the text of Scripture in humility, confessing my ignorance. And what does ignorance mean? I just simply don't know. It wasn't until then that I felt like God started to show me things I had never seen in his word. Verse 120, I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. I don't stand over them. I don't come to scripture on top of it like I know more. I stand in awe. What does that look like? 125, give discernment to me, your servant, then I will understand your laws. In other words, I I don't understand. So would you help me understand? Now, here's one of the most important verses that oftentimes Holly and I will kind of just say together before we dive into, uh, we we just yesterday studied uh, Bathsheba, uh, chapter 11, chapter 12 of of 2 Samuel, and and we'll start out and say something to the effect of, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see truths in these chapters we've never seen before? That's Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Here's a one-liner if you like one-liners. If you think you already know, you will not hear him say anything new. Anybody ever noticed how you can read the same chapter for the 60th time and see something you've never seen before? Is that not crazy? Like, so how can we come to the text like we know everything? When every time we come, to the text. He shows us something new if we're open to receive it. Come humbly. It's interesting, point number two, you don't have to be a a rocket scientist. Point number three essentially is don't act like a rocket scientist. Don't come to scripture and act like you know everything. Because if you do, if I do, he's not going to show me anything new. Point number four, every chapter, this is a wordy one, every chapter you ever read is like a new page with heavenly ink God organizes and categorizes in the library of your heart. Let's think about that for a second. Verse 32, I will pursue your commands for you expand my understanding. You expand my ability to understand. I remember when the Lord gave me this revelation. Uh, It was about almost 10 years after I had started reading scripture. And I was sitting in a a pastoral ministry appointment with a single mom and her young teenage daughter. And it was the first time ever that I was in a, a ministry appointment where I felt the Holy Spirit bring to my remembrance something I had read a long time ago. I didn't have the verse memorized, but I just heard the Holy Spirit say the verse, the passage. And so I, I opened up my Bible and I read it and it completely changed what was going on in the room. Well, afterwards, as I'm kind of prone to do, I was processing with the Lord, what, what was that? Like what, what happened? Because I've never experienced something so supernatural in a pastoral ministry, some would call it counseling, but a pastoral ministry appointment. What was that? 
I just felt the Holy Spirit go, nine years ago, you read that verse and you didn't understand, Preston, what I was doing. Every time you read a verse, a chapter, I am digging a deeper part of the well in your heart and I'm storing that verse like living water for you to draw upon for yourself and for others down the road. Totally changed the way I see reading scripture. Instead of coming to the Bible every morning like, to be a good Christian, I have to read. What if you knew that somebody in your life two years from now was gonna be going through something really difficult and they were gonna need the verse you were going to read this morning and no one else was going to be used by God to literally in a moment with a word, with a verse, be able to just set their heart on fire or bring clarity, the clarity of heaven to their minds and their hearts, their spiritual understanding. Would it change the way you came to your morning Bible reading? It would for me. Parents, what if you knew six years from now, your child was going to need a verse that God was only going to use you to give to them, but you needed to read it six years in advance and just meditate on it and it just be down in the well of your soul, gathering heavenly oil for you to be able to present it and it changed their life. I believe this is what happens when we read the Bible. So see it like this. Every time I read Ephesians 6, and let's just say I, I've read it 75 times in my life, okay? I, I don't even know what the number is. I just use it as an example. Every, this is how I see it. Every date that I've read Ephesians 6, it's like God takes Ephesians 6, January the 2nd, 1994. Ephesians 6, February the 8th, 2001. And all of them go down into the well of my life and into the library of my heart for, me to, for the Holy Spirit to be able to use me to pull it out. And that might be for somebody. That might be for somebody. Because when I read it in January of 94, the Holy Spirit said one thing. But when I read it in February of 2001, the Holy Spirit said something totally different. Here's number five. This is in light of what we talked about last week. Never spend more time focused on your enemies than you do fixated on the book your enemies are so deathly afraid of. Every time I teach on spiritual warfare, there's a little part of me that gets a little bit uptight that people are just going to be walking around blaming everything on demons. Just overdoing it. Waking up in the morning and before they talk to God, they talk to demons. Casting them out doing whatever they think they're supposed to do. I don't know. The best way to win in spiritual warfare is to gaze upon God, not to fixate on your enemy. That's what he wants. Demons are like unrestrained little children. They want attention. They want you to focus on them. Okay, so I don't want to do that. I want to fix my gaze on the God of the universe. Scripture is one of the ways we do that. Verse 95, though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. I, I could have read at least a dozen different verses like this in Psalm 119. David says this over and over again. 
throughout his Psalms. He talks about his enemies chasing him, but I will not get distracted by them. I'm going to keep my nose in this book. That's the key to my life. I know I have many enemies and they're chasing me, but I'm going to stay in this book. I will not come off this wall, Nehemiah said. David says, I will not come out of this book, no matter who's chasing me or how badly they want to kill me. Number six, the wisest way to stay free is devotion to God's word. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom when we are set free from oppression. Remember, Jesus came to set the captive free. When When we're set free, here's an example. When a man is set free from the spirit of lust, what's the fastest way to stay free? Remember what Galatians 5.1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. How does one stay free after they've been set free? The word of God. It's that simple. How does a man who's been set free from the spirit of lust not go back to the door and open it up to jump back into lust? Answer is simple. Every time he feels tempted by the enemy to approach that door, go grab God's word. Go grab the sword. Number seven, one of the best things to do when you feel shaky is to stand on the word which stands firm in heaven. I think this is an important one right now. There's a lot of anxiety You'd probably say a, a spirit of anxiety trying to run rampant on the earth. I remember very specifically one time years ago where the enemy was trying to attack through anxiety. And I'm going to read you a couple of verses. I'm going to tell you, for some of you, it might sound crazy, but it was because of this verse, Psalm 119.89. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Verse 143, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. There was one time, and, and this might seem completely heretical to you, uh, I don't believe that it is at all, otherwise I, I wouldn't have done it, nor would I share it years later. But when the enemy was trying to just come at my mind, and I, I mean, I, I was hearing so many different voices during that season, Um, because I was literally in bondage to a spirit of fear from one lie the enemy had told me. And he was just assaulting my mind. And I remembered this verse, that his word stands firm in heaven. And because of the way the enemy was attacking my mind, I felt as wobbly as all get out. And I, I I just, in that moment, remembering that verse, I put my Bible down on the ground, I took my shoes off and I stood on God's word. And I just said out loud, I will not be shaken. I stand on the word which stands firm in heaven. And I just felt peace. It was because I was standing on my Bible. Is there anything inherently? No. No, but I needed to be reminded, this is the picture. I'm not telling you 
that during altar ministry time, you should throw your Bible down and just start jumping on it like this, okay? Just giving you an example. I, I needed to physically do what my spirit knew to be true. God's word stands firm in heaven, and it's the desire of my heart to stand firm on God's word. So even when the enemy tries to get me wobbly, if my life is built upon his word, that storm ain't gonna do jack squat to me because my house isn't built on the sand. It's built on the rock. Here's number eight. If you keep his word close in every season, you'll never be far from the right direction. Psalm 119, verses 59 through 61. I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. In other words, I was, I was going in the wrong direction. But I turned to follow your law. How did I know which way to go? I went in the direction of your word. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. It's one thing to read the word. It's another thing to obey the word. Evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. Notice how much wobbly is going on around the earth today. I wonder if it's not a divine setup for God to remind the earth, Preston, you weren't meant to live anchored to your own opinions. You know, this is just simple math. You know, one of the reasons why I say my job isn't to please the people, but to please God, because what pleases the people changes every 60 seconds. One minute you tell me your favorite meal is hamburgers, and then 60 seconds later you tell me you're a vegetarian. I can't keep up with that. So I've just resolved in my heart, you know what? The best way to build a church is not to please the people. It's to please God who made the people. And then the people would just, they can wrestle with God about it. Not with me. You just wrestle with God. And trust me, I wrestle with them on some of this stuff. Like, Lord, are you sure? Preston, is it your house? Are you the CEO? No and no, Lord. Okay, then I'm sure. This is what I want. Okay. How do we know what God wants? More often than not, it's in his word. I'm never far from the right direction if I'll always remain close to the word of God. Look at all the decisions we're having to make these days. It's, it, it's more serious than ever before. And it's only ramping up. How do we make sure we don't get caught in the rat race of playing earthly checkers? And here's the answer. We study from the best chess player who will ever play this game called life. And so we stay connected to the word of God. And when we are, we're never far from the right direction. Here's number nine, and I love this one. If you do not see this book as the key to life, it will be as dead to you as any book on your bookshelf. This one's kind of painful. Because I can be in a room with hundreds of people 
and some be absolutely in love with the same book somebody else hasn't picked up in three years. In the same row, there can be somebody who can't sleep at night. They're so excited about God's word. Sitting next to someone who couldn't care less. Is it a book thing? Or is it an us thing? Verse 93, I will never forget your commandments. For by them you give me life. It's not just your words give me life. It's here's the reason why I memorize your words, O Lord. It's because I've learned they give me life. Every time I implement them, it gives me life. And so I'm never going to forget your word. I'm going to be obsessed with your word because it's the key to my life. Think about it like this uh, in the day in which we live. Uh, money is a big deal. Money is the currency of the earth. That's important to a lot of people. I don't think we'll see it the same in heaven as we do here. Uh, we don't have golden streets here. So uh, I think when we get to heaven and we're going to be like, oh, asphalt, gold. Here, we're like, oh, gold has doubled since all this inflation has taken place. Yeah, I, I get it. But he here's what I would say about this principle. Let's say... Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, whoever the richest man on the earth is right now. I don't know who it is. It, it changes all the time. I don't know if you know this. But let's just say they wrote a book on how to become the richest person on the earth. With a thousand chapters, a thousand plus chapters, 1,100 chapters. Let's just say. The richest man who ever lived wrote a book to teach you how to become the richest person on the earth. How would you feel about that book? Would you carry it around with you everywhere you went? Okay. Let me just remind you, I know you know this, but let me remind you because it's possible you've forgotten. Someone wrote a book for you to teach you how to be the healthiest, most whole human on the earth. A measure of success money will never be able to buy. How come we don't see the word authored by the God of the universe the same way we would see a book, just a book that's not alive, written by some dude who may not even die, the richest man who who lived during his day. Okay. The Bible is the most important book ever written. I get some of us push up against that. And here's, here's what I've learned over the years. The type of person who pushes up against the importance of the Bible does so because they approach the word of God like a scientist rather than a lover. If I don't approach the word of God with faith, I will always find reasons to reject it. I'm never going to have all the answers. There are things in scripture I'll never understand this side of heaven. But, but let me just ask you, if you were getting married to someone you fell head over heels in love with, 
would you need to do a 10-year study on the institution of marriage before you said, I do? Or having fallen head over heels in love, would you step out in faith and say, you might completely mess me over and I actually give you the power to do it because I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I don't have to have all the answers to what comes next. I just move, move forward in love and faith. But how many people with their relationship with God, do they need all the answers before they say, I do? If I were to put my wife through that, let, let, let's say it another way so I don't get in trouble at home. If my wife would have put me through that, press I need all these answers. I never would have made the cut. My father-in-law's in the room. If he would have come with all his questions like that, I never would have gotten to say, I do. But here's what we all agreed to. I am head over heels in love with this girl. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to fight to remain together till the end of our days. Do I need the answers? Or do I need the love in my heart to be so strong that when I don't have the answers, I still walk together hand in hand? I think we should step back. This whole deconstruction movement is getting out of control. I need all the answers to every verse that I don't understand before I say I do to God. Show me that in the Bible. We live by faith, not by sight. We live as lovers, not as scientists. Doesn't mean we shut off our brains. But science can't give me the reason for my existence. It can't even explain my existence. I heard somebody say that this is the way scientists kind of basically explain evolution. First came the goo, then came the zoo. Voila, me and you. <laughs> Number 10. We've got to hurry up. <laughs> this book cannot be lived out unless it is first chewed up. This book can't be lived out until it is first chewed up. This is the principle of meditation. Psalm 119, verse 48. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Joshua 1, 8. Meditate on this book day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. What does the word meditate mean in the Bible? Well, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars to go to college at GCU. Don't remember much of what I learned, but there was one thing I do remember. And so we, we can call it my $30,000 lesson, okay? Here's what I learned. One of my professors taught me that the word meditate in the Bible means to chew the cud. I don't have the time to fully explain it, but sheep have interesting stomach, an interesting stomach situation. When they go to eat grass, they can't fully digest it on the first pass. So get ready if you have a queasy stomach, because we're about to do this thing. They, they eat the grass, they chew it up in their mouth, they swallow it, but they can't digest it. So digestive enzymes begin attacking it and they vomit it out. And then they eat the vomit. And they chew it up a little bit more. 
digestive enzymes, puke it up, more enzymes. They keep doing this. Eat, puke, eat, puke, eat, puke. <laughs> Until they can digest it and get all the nutrients they need to get from the food they're eating. This is what the scriptural word meditate means. It's not a yoga word. It's a God word. And sometimes I think the enemy convinces us if we don't read 10 chapters in a day, we didn't have a good day spiritually. And here's what I think and what I've learned over the last 30 years. There are seasons of life where God would rather me take one verse and eat it and puke it and eat it and puke it all day than read 10 chapters that one day and not get one thing from it. I'm not telling you that's bad. It's both and. I'm just telling you, if you don't know where to start with the word of God, get into the Psalms, read one Psalm, pick one verse and meditate on it all day long. Want to know what it's like? I've never taken steroids, but spiritually it's like steroids. <laughs> I know you thought I took steroids, but I know better than that. I got bird legs. It's like spiritual steroids. Meditation is like spiritual steroids. When we just hold on to one verse, you go into Romans, read a chapter. You don't need to understand the whole thing yet, in time. But latch on to one verse the Holy Spirit illuminates to you and then chew on it all day long. Meditate. Eat, puke, eat, puke, eat. Puke, eat, receive nutrient. Carry with me for many, many days. Here's number 11. The words in the word were never meant to stay hidden in your heart. That word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Good old King James. But here's the deal. The word was never meant to stay in my heart. It was meant to come out of my mouth. Psalm 119, verse 46, I will speak to kings about your laws and I will not be ashamed. God, I will talk about this book to people who don't even like it in places of power because this book is the key to my life. My twin, Tim Ross, and I, for years, probably about an eight-year stretch, we literally probably averaged at least 40 Fridays, Thursdays or Fridays a, a year, where we'd go to Cheesecake Factory, we'd order the same thing almost every week, and we'd sit there for three to four hours. And we'd bring our Bibles, and we would play Bible ping pong. And we would just love. I was reading this, and this is what I felt like God showed me. And I was reading this, this is what I felt like God showed me. I was reading this, I was reading this, I was reading this. Listen, don't make that about two preachers. Make that about two little boys obsessed with the written word of God. It has nothing to do with my job, my vocation, and everything to do with my obsession. We just go back and forth and back and forth. Here's one of the ways we know we are digging into God's word. It's consistently coming out of our mouths. Holly will tell you, she learned this early on, that when, when I come out of my time and I've been digging into the word, she knows how to really tell. Because it usually goes something like this. Wherever she is in the house, 
this is how it kind of goes down. Babe, 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 I got to show this to you. Now, is that every time? No. Has it been many times? Yes. Why? Because when the God of the universe shows you something, you can't just go, well, today was a good day. And here's what I've learned. The more excited I get before him about what he shows me in his word, the more he starts showing me more in his word. I want you to see things no one has ever been shown in scripture. But the only way to get there is to prize when the spirit of the living God reveals something to you when you've cracked open the book and cracked open your heart to receive its truth. Here's number 12. Your sword will not be sharp until you see its value as unmatched. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, will never be sharp until you see the Word of God as more valuable than anything else in your life. Here's another way to say it. You will not get the power of God from the Word of God until you see it as the most valuable resource on the earth. Verse 14. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. This is what I was just talking about. Let let, let me speak to the businessmen and women. When you close a big deal, you get excited. And maybe there's a bottle of champagne that that you've set aside, okay? Or however you celebrate a, a big win. When was the last time you celebrated a revelation God gave you in his word the exact same way? That, that's how I know. I prize his word as much as human riches. He doesn't stop there though. Verse 72, your instructions are more valuable, not as valuable, more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Verse 111 goes even further. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. Verse 127. Truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. Time and time again, the word trumped earthly riches. Then here's the last one. And probably one of the biggest things the Lord has let me understand over the last 30 years in relationship with the word. Never, ever settle for a craving when you yourself can create an addiction. There are levels of relationship with the word of God, in my opinion. You have it. You read it. You enjoy it, you love it, you're addicted to it. Who determines my relationship with the word of God? The God who authored it or the one who's reading it? It's me. Verse 103, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Anybody love some sweets up in here? Can we just, yeah, yeah. 
We all have our favorite sweets, right? We all know what mine is. Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. The nectar of heaven. I've said it once, I'll say it again. If, if you put any vanilla ice cream above Bluebell homemade vanilla, this may not be the church for you. And I'm being scriptural. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Out of context, possibly. My point, I don't eat a lot of Bluebell homemade vanilla these days. And it's not because it's bad. It's just because I learn. I have a hard time saying no to Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream when I give it to myself. It's like Lay's potato chips. I bet you can't just eat one bowl. Not one scoop, a whole bowl. I can't. And so I've kind of slowed my roll. But I love it. And it wasn't until I got older that I started to learn about the effect of sugar on my body. I'm not anti-sugar, but I am pro-understanding the, the human body God's given me. And I didn't understand that when I would eat or drink too much sugar, I always needed more of it. The average day consumption wasn't enough for the next day. And so I just, I got more. Okay. Instead of trying to bring conviction over sugar, which is not my goal with this, let's apply that principle to the word of God. Would it be possible? Because some of the greats in scripture, Ezekiel, I mean, just go through the list. They saw the word of God like sweet honey that was so desirable that they could get addicted to it. Couldn't say no to it. Like Preston and Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. What would life look like if we became more addicted to the word of God than we were to the earthly things we craved the most. Here's what I think. I think we turn the world upside down with the truth of God. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.